Welcome to Cup of Joe in a Show, Episode 9. Today we are talking about Psycho, the Alfred Hitchcock film from 1960. Mm-hmm. And with me today I have Kenny Kramer, who had never heard a fly. Oh, I would. <laughs> Nicholas Shirk, who goes a little mad sometimes. Just sometimes. Just a twitch. Not a big deal. Don't do it, Nick! <laughs> And me, Jared Walker, who actually has nothing to say. Suspicious. Because I've been dead for 10 years. <gasps> Spoilers in the intro? <laughs> <laughs> you ruined the movie I'm for sorry, me. I'm sorry. I just had to. I had to. If you haven't seen this movie until today, you're probably Kenny. Wait, didn't you not see it until today either? Yes, but I also knew the plot and Kenny didn't. So not. why did you just call me out on it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting. Interesting. Anyway, hey, you better just start before something happens. Anyway, here. before before I lose I lose all of my <laughs> credibility to this podcast. Yeah, by the way, I wish we had video because Nick almost <laughs> did a spit take all over his laptop. <laughs> I did. It would have been bad. It would have been real, real bad. <clears throat> well, anyways, to start this episode, we're going to find out <laughs> what Kenny's background in this movie is. <laughs> Kenny, did you know anything about it? Have you ever heard of it? Had you like? Did you know of Alfred Hitchcock? Did you know... I kind of slept under a rock. <laughs> yes, I've heard of Albert Hitchcock. <laughs> I'm so glad I was this close to taking a drink. Uh, was that on purpose? Or did you- <laughs> Okay, so we're going off the rails really fast on this episode. <laughs> you've heard of Alfred Hitchcock, though. N- not Albert. <laughs> there may be an Albert Hitchcock. I don't know. I, I didn't follow his family tree for much. I wanted to say Albert, but it just came out as Albert. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, like, you were like, so sure. You were like. You really were. You were like so confident. And you're like, like yes. Because I was going to say Albert. <laughs> and then the name Albert came in my head. And I was like, dang, bro. Uh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Anyway, so, so you know, so Kenny's never Alfred. even heard of this movie before. <laughs> but you've heard of Alfred. I've Hitchcock. heard. I, I, I've heard of Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I said it right. <laughs> you still Alfred. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. You said Alford. Are you doing it on purpose or not? I'm so confused. Are we sure he even watched the movie? I with don't us? know. Did you fall asleep, Kenny? No. <laughs> So what's the director's name? Your face. <laughs> I believe in you. You're going to get this. I know you will. All right. What's the director's name? Alfred. Last name? High fives all around. Good job, everyone. What's his last name? 
You tell me. <laughs> this is your error. This is a, this is a Mexican standoff right now. <laughs> it's a real Mexican standoff, boys. <laughs> Not really. Anyways, so you had heard of it. I've heard of it. You've heard, heard of it. the name <coughs> more than heard anything. Of the name, and I've heard of the director. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got <laughs> forward. Four got, minutes in, we, we haven't even gotten past the over. <laughs> no, 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 no. This intro is too great to keep. Is is fabulous. <laughs> Anyways, so okay, so you heard a little bit about him, not much, but you never seen the film for sure. Never saw it. Okay, have you seen any other of his like ever? Rear window or. Dial M for murder, vertigo, anything like that? No. No? Okay. All right. All right. Jared, your background with the film? Had you ever seen it before? Had you I ever... have never seen this film before, but I have seen so much. It's so much in pop culture that you kind of, unless you're living under a rock, mm. you could never hear, hear about this movie. Like, the twist is almost, un, un it's like Star Wars. It's so hard not to know what it's about. Yeah, that's true. And the shower scene. You just say the shower scene. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah, that's true. They can picture it. They can picture the music. They can picture the just every visual about it. And you, after that is where people don't actually know much about it otherwise. Yeah, it does get... It, it's very well known for those two things. And then after that, it's basically just... A movie, mm-hmm. and I mean that's fine. Like it's a fabulous movie, in my opinion. But yeah, we'll but I later. also t- I kind of like bring that idea to the fact that people don't want to watch a black and white movie from 1960. I don't know. I with think actors you, who they don't know who they are. I think if you colorize it, it wouldn't have the same effect. Like it just wouldn't. It just it probably wouldn't. But people, more people would in, would ingest it. Yeah, but that's because they ingest it doesn't make it good. Like. I no, feel, I it's mean, just it's the thing is it's already cemented itself as a like the top, one of the best movies of all time. Yeah, like it makes everyone's top one hundred list every year. It, mm-hmm. Even as time goes on, it makes a lot of people's top tens, and like it's just like you don't have to. I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. And there are scenes that people have colorized, but anyways, we're getting off topic. So I, um. Nick, I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> I um, I have seen this film. I actually watched it for a film literature class I took in high school, and uh, I loved the movie then, and it's easily one of my top five movies of all time, and I just, I, there's just so much that I love about it. There's so much that I just enjoy. I'm, I'm so ready for this episode. Um, this is like my, one of my crowning, I think achievement episodes that I think it'll, it'll be the best one I think mm-hmm. from me at least but, personally. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, uh, as Jared mentioned earlier, it's a 1960 film. I took them a long time to make this film because no one wanted to pick it up. Uh, it, it it's an Alfred Hitchcock film, as I said before. I think we all mentioned movies: Rear Window, Dial M for Murder, Vertigo. He did a whole TV series called Alfred Hitchcock Presents back in the 60s and I think maybe 50s, and. <clears throat> He's a very well-known horror slasher thriller movie more than anything. And this actually is one of the earliest occurrences of a slasher film. And many believe that it's actually the first slasher film. Or mm-hmm. if it's not, then it definitely set the tone for the genre moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually, to be quite honest, <clears throat> the tone for American filmmaking overall in terms of violence and especially sexuality. Because this film breaks a lot of the barriers that a lot Hollywood, of rules yeah that you Hollywood, can't do that's Hollywood why it took so long to get picked up okay with this movie at all but <clears throat> stars many 
famous actors for the time. Looking back on it, I've never seen any of the movies that these people have been in. Mm-hmm. But um, the obviously the main character, Norman Bates, uh, is Anthony Perkins. He's actually only really known for Psycho and Green Willow, which I've never seen. But he did a lot of uh, European films after this yeah. movie. And, and really also, in 26 years later, he did Psycho 2, 3, and 4. Yes, it is true that he did star in the, <coughs> the sequels. But uh, Vera Williams, who plays um, Marion Crane's sister, uh, Lila. Uh, she plays in Tarzan's Hidden Jungle, which didn't know that was a movie. And also The Wrong Man. Uh, John Gavin, who plays Sam, the boyfriend throughout the movie, is uh, he, he plays in a movie called Imitation and Spartacus. There were a lot others, but those two sounded really cool to mm-hmm. me. So that's why I chose and those. this character's name, I will give it later in the tidbit section. Mm-hmm. His name and the main character, the actress of the main character, Yeah, she... Those two names and ac- the actors spawned every, like, every trope, every, like, slasher movie you can think of to Michael Myers and Scream. Mm. It's just, they're intertwined in this in such a way that almost every horror movie after this is in the same, like, yeah, to find a genre. Yeah, like, yeah, like right. everybody takes from this. Even if you don't think you are, you are. Hmm. Because everyone before you, if you've taken from somebody else, they've taken from this. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Like I said, it's a very influential film. So, mm-hmm. any uh, back to the characters. Just the main ones. I'm just giving you guys kind of a rundown. Uh, Martin Balsam. He plays the P.I. in the film. His name's Milton Aber- Abergast or something? Yeah. yeah like, I can't remember his last name. I just wrote Milton. I don't know why I didn't write his last name. Um Stars in 12 Angry Men, which I have heard of that film at least. It is fantastic. It is probably in my top five movies of all time. Okay. It is that good. And he also stars in Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I have heard of that movie. Yes. I've heard so. that it's kind of overrated, but I have not seen it, so I don't have an opinion. Fair enough. Uh, John McIntyre plays the sheriff at the, towards the end of the film, kind of like the second, third act, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, also stars in Far Country and Asphalt Jungle, which those two I've never heard of. I would watch Asphalt Jungle, though. Sounds interesting. And then uh, Janet Lee, who obviously is the is Marion. She's the main, technically the main character in the film, although that's very much up for grabs. Um, and she plays in Touch of Evil and The Vikings, which never seen either of those, but I would watch The Vikings. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. She also has a cameo in one of the movies I'll talk about in the tidbit section. Oh, there you go. <clears throat> so, uh, just gonna give you guys a quick plot overview, and then we're gonna do some deep dive here. So it starts off obviously. Um, if you've never seen the film, uh, Phoenix, Arizona is where the main setting takes place right off the bat. 2.43 p.m. It's very specifically defined in the title credits, <coughs> so I thought I would include it just because Hitchcock is very intentional with what he puts on screen. So uh starts off with Marion and Sam in the hotel. Uh, they've clearly gone through some sort of affair that they're having. I don't even know if it's an affair. I do think Sam is married in the movie, but I can't technically – remember i believe he's going through a divorce and paying alimony until the new girl until the girl finds a new husband right right okay yeah you're right you're right so you get this whole madly in love but torn apart they're like they're like 100 cheating like there's no way around it like something is going on they're having to hide what they're doing so uh she goes back to work this is uh like a i don't even know this looks like a real estate business honestly from what i gathered anyway there's a large amount of money that comes in the business's possession uh, and there's a lot of talk of money buying off unhappiness, and this really speaks to Marion's situation just because she is very much unhappy with where she's at, or at least she feels that way in the moment. So, of course, Marion steals the money. She drives off to see Sam, and she actually lies to her boss and states that she's going home because <coughs> she has a headache. She takes the money home, supposed to deposit it. The classic 
the classic crosswalk scene of her in the car with her boss walking by and he kind of turns and just looks then looks back and walks on and it's just like this like terror in her eyes but classic scene uh <clears throat> so then she's driving sleeps on the side of the road uh for the night and this is where you get the the very suspicious cop which is just it's an interesting scene but it's very if you look back on it, it's kind of creepy how much he follows her mm-hmm. but I, I get he's suspicious but you know you're kind of like yeah like at some point let a person do their own thing but, but you also might be seeing from her perspective he might not actually be paying that much attention but she's so, uh, like in her mind about what she's done. She's so paranoid right. that she thinks that he's always there. Mm-hmm. And just, you know. Yeah, for sure. So she sleeps on <laughs> the side of the on the side of the road for the night because she's she's very like sleepy and it's, she's just like she's like almost gets into an accident. She claims. So she drives off. Um, she realizes that she needs to get a new set of wheels, basically, so that this cop won't follow her. However, this does not pan out because the cop is following her anyways, and so. Just a very suspicious, very tension-filled scene. And, and the best part is, is this scene is filled with a lot of silence. And that silence builds a lot of tension just from that. But <clears throat> so anyways, very suspicious scene. We get uh, her transition into back on the road. She's driving very heavy rainfall. Um, very like sprout. I, I, I don't know. Just mega rain. Uh, so she pulls off the side of the road. This is where we get the Bates Motel, the classic shot of the, the no vacancy sign, and it says vacancy, of course. Uh, this is where you get the introduction of Norman's character, Norman Bates, who's technically, if you really want to call him, he's kind of the main character of the entire film. Um, but you get that introduced. She rents a hotel for the night. Um, he, you know, wants to have dinner with her, and because, you know, he just has no one else but him and his mom, who that's a whole separate story we're going to get into here right now. Uh, the mother is introduced at this part of the plot. Uh, she's a very... Oh, she's a very, very, very strange character, especially throughout the the parts that you see her in. But it, it, this scene does a lot to introduce Norman's awkwardness, especially when he comes back with the food uh, that he's prepared, and his mother and him have kind of had an argument about this girl, uh, Marion, of course. And it, it's very much, this is where you get the, they have a long talk, right? This sets up their character development for each other. They're kind of like, oh, like, we're okay with each other. Like, you seem a little strange, but you're a nice guy and you know, you're a nice girl. Even uh, though he seemed, he seems to be prying a little bit too much into her. Yes, exactly. Life. Right. And, and you get this whole, this idea of private traps, right? Mm-hmm. The, the whole idea of everyone's got their own thing that they're going on. They're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where you get the classic, classic line of, we all go a little mad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, you get the Norman peephole scene. And of course that is the scene that kind of sets up the rest of this, um, interaction between the two of them yeah it really just defines the rest of this it, it goes from being a, like oh nice guy to this guy's a creeper mm-hmm. and now we can confirm that so uh he goes up you get into the house you get the first interior shots of the house kind of just works to develop that scene more than anything and then of course the classic shower scene that defined this movie for the rest of its life um, was the first of its kind because hollywood did not want to see that apparently um, it's really funny because now that's all Hollywood is for a good chunk and of it's films. more it's more graphic and <clears throat> gross and right they're just for graphic sake mm-hmm. right yeah no this scene was very much true they needed this to develop the story and there's a reason mm-hmm. and it's tasteful too it's it not is. it's not you don't see anything really in her body you don't mm-hmm. you don't draw attention to it it's more about what is happening to her and she just happens to be taking a shower at the time 
Right, exactly. Because I mean, in theory, this could have this scene could have happened to her at any point in this room, mm-hmm. um, but the shower scene is just very powerful, very impactful. First time a toilet was flushed on a movie like screen and people saw it. That was a big, big deal. So, anyways, after this, of course, <clears throat> she is murdered. Uh, you get the the cleanup scene where Son comes in and realizes what's happened. Norman, of course, so he works to clean up Mother's mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, you know, wraps her body up and, and folds her all up in a nice little thing and takes her outside, puts her in her car, go transition right into the swamp scene. And, of course, he dumps the car into the swamp and it sinks in. And he's very patient to make sure that it does go in and mm-hmm. that it all sinks and that everything's just as tidy as it was before. Because he loves his mother. Of course. And a mother's <coughs> best friend is her son. It's a quote from later in the movie, but, yeah, that's true. Uh, so you get the swamp scene. We're going right into Lila now. Uh, Lila is Marion's sister who was out of town in Tucson for the weekend. She came back and her sister is missing. Um, I also, I totally forgot to mention, but during the driving scenes, it, it the driving scenes are so cool because it works to set up what's going on away from the camera and it doesn't even have to pull back to those scenes. It's just solely focused on her and there's just audio voiceovers of what, how like people find out that she's missing, people find out that you know like this money's missing too mm-hmm. and so it really works to develop a lot of the story through those driving scenes and it's just really really cool and it might be just in her head what she's thinking they're saying it could be i mean it does also come to fruition later so yes. <clears throat> but if you watch it the first time you could very well think that she's just thinking it i guess but and it could go either way it might just be a artist interpretation and you can interpret it anyway yeah, for the most part, maybe. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Anyways, uh, this is where the PI also comes into play because Lila goes to visit Sam, the boyfriend, uh, to ask if you know she knows where or he knows, sorry, where Marion's at. Uh, the PI <clears throat> is introduced. He's doing some snooping around, of course. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. Uh, you get the hotel montage at this point. PI says, you know, don't leave. I, I'm gonna go do my work and come back. And so you get this, and you go right up to the Bates Motel, of course. This transitions into the PI talking to Bates, and, you know, that whole interaction is just so so well handled by the PI, and Norman is just, like, completely cracking under this pressure. And it turns into him lying, of course, and, and, the, and the PI kind of finding that out. Um, he eventually figures out that Marion was at the hotel, and he is asked to leave, so he does leave the hotel, or motel, sorry, it's not a hotel. So PI goes back to the, um, to the motel only to go into the house uh, of Norman Bates and his mother, and this is where you get the classic stairway scene. Which this scene is probably the the second shot in this film that actually truly defines the film, and it is it's hilarious to watch now because it's just like what on earth is happening in this scene. Um, if you don't know, he goes up the stairs. Uh, to the house you enter in there's a stairway so he walks up the stairs and the mother jumps out and stabs him but him falling down the stairs gives the uh, impression that he never trips he just feet just glide down the stairs the whole time right exactly and it's just it's hilarious and it's a classic scene that i think everyone needs to see because it was revolutionary for the time but now it's just hilarious so um the pi had actually told the uh sam and lila that he was going to be back at the house or sorry, at the shop within about an hour. And when he doesn't return, Sam heads off to the motel and kind of comes back with nothing, just kind of goes there, sees Norman, sees the mother upstairs and thinks that, okay, well, I don't know where the PI is at, but he's not here. So turns to nothing. They decide to end up going to the sheriff and the sheriff reveals the mother's fate. Um, the fact that there actually is no mother 
left anymore. The mother passed away 10 years ago. So he's not, he doesn't really know what the, what Sam and the PI saw, but he does not think it's the mother. So, um, this transitions into the scene where they kind of set the mother up to maybe actually be alive and Bates, you know, picks his mother up and he goes up the stairs and it's a very cool cinematography shot of him in the room and he walks out carrying her and you're like, Oh, well, this has to be, her. she has to be real because that's clearly him mm -hmm. or her, you know, him carrying her. Um, so then we go back down the sheriff, of course, Sam and Lila confront him the next morning after all this occurs because he went out and visited them and said that he didn't see anything that was that was wrong or anything like that. So, of course, it, it's no no one is there. I mean, he doesn't know what mm -hmm. they're talking about. So then Sam and Lila decide to, of course, take things in their own hands. They're going to go confront Bates and they're going to uh, <laughs> snoop around, basically. And so you get the Sam and Bates scene where, you know, they've rented this room and now Sam needs to go distract uh, Norman because, you know, Lila needs to snoop around. So Lila, of course, goes into the house and snoops around all the rooms and finds these just very weird, just off-putting things more than anything that you can't really describe and you can't really in the moment be like, why is that happening? Until later on, of course, where Bates knocks out Sam after realizing that Lila is in the house now, unaccounted for. He doesn't, you know, doesn't want anyone to find out a secret. So then Lila finds Mrs. Bates in the basement, and it turns out that it's just her corpse. It's mm -hmm. it's never actually been the mother. Um, and this is where Sam and Lila uh, fend off Bates. You know, Bates comes down in his his cross dressing, you know, whatever uh, outfit he has to play the mother part of his brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, he tries to, of course, kill Lila because she found out a secret. And Sam defends them, and they call the cops. And you get the ending of the movie, uh, the courthouse scene, which Jared was not a fan of. <laughs> I just feel like the way they explained it made the audience seem stupid. Mm -hmm. Like they were just telling you everything. But that was also probably a sign of the times. Mm -hmm. They just wanted. It's to a very shocking story. movie. They probably the audience has probably just had no idea what to think. Right. Absolutely. So. And and of course, for, the, for people that don't know, the courthouse, basically the the Sam and Lila, the sheriff, and a bunch of people from the town are kind of in this courthouse because. Um, of course, Norman was arrested by the police, taken into custody, and now he's acting fully like the mother. So this psychologist kind of comes in and describes the whole situation of how he's been playing both parts of mother and son because he needed that part because he actually ended up killing her 10 years ago when she was supposedly, you know, murder-suicide with her lover at the time. And uh, so he because his father died. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole lot of issues with Norman. Norman is mm -hmm. just a, a crazy character that I want to really get into here. But so summed up version. Basically, now Norman is no longer Norman, but he is his mother. And uh, he kind of has this like alternate personality thing going on where he's fully just acclimated to the second personality and no longer has anything to do with the first personality mm -hmm. uh, because it's just so traumatic. But that's the plot. That's the whole film summed up. in I don't know how long that took, but I'm out of breath. So. <clears throat> Anyways, deep dives. What do we want to talk about? Because there's a lot to talk about with this film. All right. So first, I want to start off with how this film changed cinema and the references that this film has to Friday the 13th, Scream. Well, the references that those have to this. Yes. The, well, mm -hmm. yeah. Friday the 13th, Scream, and Halloween. So first, the boyfriend's name is Sam Lewis. Same name of Dr. Samuel Loomis from Halloween, Michael's doctor. And they took that name and gave it to the killer in the first scream, Billy Loomis. Hmm. 
So you can see how all three of these films are connected in a roundabout way. Right, right. And then, in a meta sense, in Halloween H2O, Janet Lee has a cameo as a secretary in a school that's in the movie. And one of her only lines is, hey, can you tell the janitor to uh, check the bathrooms that, um, that's clogged in there? Okay. So it's really meta. Mm-hmm. And it's also even more because Janet Lee is Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. Oh, really? So. Like in real life? In or real in life. Movie? Oh, okay. Hmm, yeah, that's where, that. that's where you get the. That's where how they even cast her in Halloween to begin with. Because oh, okay. her mother was the original Scream Queen. Her daughter, you know, it's a perfect fit. Right. Okay. That's interesting. I did not know that. And <clears throat> the reveal that he's been keeping his mother's corpse the whole time is just ripped, like, right out of this movie and put into uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, where the final girl of the movie is... Um, Running through the forest, running away from uh, uh, Jason. And she runs to this cabin where he's been living for all these years. It's not really explained in the movie because the sequels are very loosely tied together. Okay. There's like hardly any connecting tissue. But she goes in there and she sees uh, Mrs. Voorhees' corpse. Dressed in the sweater that she wore in the first movie because, spoiler, 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 turn away now. Mrs. Voorhees is the killer in the first Friday the 13th. So, Jason found her body and has kept it for all these years. And puts a sweater on her and, you know, sets her up almost exactly the same as in this movie. Okay, right. So, this this one film and these very small details that could have just been forgotten have shaped how horror movies have moved on even into the classics from the 80s. Right. Things that... In the early 2000s. Would, right. Think movies that people would say have actually defined, defined that genre were defined by this Hitchcock. Yes. And, and all of his films. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the... I can do one now if, if you have multiple. Anyways, uh, the music in this film is so impactful. It has so much to do with everything about everything that there is music into. Like just anything any any scene that you in that you hear in the movie that is is backed up with music is so very intentional it's mm. so very much meant to either cause some tension to either cause some some thrill or or to just kind of give that low melody of just something going on in the background like it's so like this whole movie all of my deep dives is just how everything in this movie is intentional and hitchcock is a very intentional director. There's nothing usually on screen that doesn't mean something, whether that's a very deep, deep, deep dive into his brain, or it's something that is actually very, very pertaining to the film at that exact moment. Um, but the music is very impactful. Of course, the classic music is from the shower scene that I dun, 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 dun. And it's just very high pitched and mm-hmm. squealy and, and just squeaky. And it's just a classic from, just that one scene, but the the film has so many more just amazing soundtrack moments that you get kind of glossed over because of the shower scene. Um, even the music from the hallway, the stairway scene where she, you know he attacks her and, and 
or sorry, she attacks him and he falls on the stairs. That music is very um, impactful in that sense too. But mm-hmm. that was just one of the first. I have a list, so if, if you want to go to something else, please. Oh, I, I have not really have anything else tied okay. to this, so yeah. you can. Yeah, no, that's sure for sure. I mean, Kenny, do you have anything that you really wanted to say, or are we kind of hitting the nail on the head? Um. Yeah, I I really don't have a whole lot. Only just you know, I kind of figured it out. Right. After the first first kill. Hmm. Now, how did that how did that impact the rest of your watching? Like, did, I mean, did that happen? You're like, okay, I'm kind of out of this movie now because I know, or am I like intrigued because I want to know it, if I'm right? Uh, it was kind of like I want to make sure I'm right, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like. Oh, I need to make sure I'm right because I was already 98% sure I was right. <laughs> right. It was fairly obvious about halfway through. Yeah. Um, I will say it took forever to get into something interesting. Yeah. The beginning of the film, if you're not like, if you're not acquainted with the film or if you're not very. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Even to me, the first time I watched it, I don't remember much about the beginning. Going back and watching it a second time, I was a little bit more involved because I knew more of the plot line and I knew, like, okay, there's probably things here that I missed. But I, I can completely see why you would, like, think that. Not saying that you're wrong because it is a very lengthy thing to get to before even the first murder occurs, right? And right. you're like, okay, this is a, kind of a slasher thing, but that's it's Hitchcock. Like, I mean, I, that's, just, that's just who he is. Right. Like, <laughs> like, I figured they would get to the Bates Motel f- not fairly quickly, but quicker than what they did mm-hmm. but did you know and about the Bates Motel oh I know about right the Bates okay Motel. Yeah. see everyone knows about the Bates Motel they know mm-hmm. about the shower scene there's just right. there's just classics um and I gotta admit to the audience I I, I fell asleep a few times during <laughs> the beginning part <laughs> I mean he did but after that after, after the first it is pretty easy to tune out yeah because there's just a lot of like random stuff going on but I will say a lot of the dialogue is very intentional. That's the other thing I was going to bring up. The dialogue is so the amount of times that Norman and Marion talk about death is astounding. If you go back and listen to it, mm-hmm. like oh, it'd be a shame for that to die like that. There's just so many little little crisps of of just dialogue that when you go back and you listen to it, even a second time or you know whatever that is, you're just like oh wow, that was really good dialogue. Like thinking back to like what's coming up now, like mm-hmm. that's so like crazy how it builds up. I do have one other thing I wanted to yeah, say before. I feel like he didn't have any plans to kill her at all, Marion. Right, right. But when she brought up that maybe his mother should be in a home or an institution, that's where he said, oh, you're dying. Yeah. no, You, there threat- is a- you, you disrespected my mother, and you, that means you disrespected me. Mm-hmm. And well, literally, his- right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if mm-hmm. he, he thinks he's his mother at this point, and... So she, he's like, yep, you're dead. Hmm. Now, it is explained later on that the reason he kills people is because he feels attraction to them. And that mm-hmm. that then, of course, make, kind of transitions him over to the mother side where she wants all of his attention and, and that whole situation. But mm-hmm. it's definitely because you could tell that he wasn't aggressive until she brought that up. Like the whole mood of that entire scene in the parlor changes mm-hmm. when it switches from. You know, oh, like, well, like, tell me about your mom. To you should leave. Like, you need to get out of here. Like, don't, don't be a part of that situation. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, like, my mom needs me. Like, she can't do that on her own. You know, and it's just very, like, that other part of his brain is speaking more now than, than the other side, right? But, uh, cool, interesting wow. fact. Oh, go ahead. I got one last thing. Yeah. Um, 
the stairway scene for me yeah was hilarious hilarious because it was awful <laughs> <laughs> it is if you go back and look at it you're like it why so terrible especially because like because i mean it was the first time for me seeing it so it's like and I, and I get the age of the movie too or it's like you really couldn't do a whole lot with it but mm-hmm. at least make it look like he fell down the stairs <laughs> instead of like is starting to float in midair and is just gliding he down. was just he was perfectly positioned on the stairs and then just the like way the way he falls mm. when he get when he gets off the stairs mm-hmm. as I say that in quotes um is also terrible yeah it's like it's Honestly, the movie holds up now because of the iconic scenes and the iconic like items, like the Bates Motel. You know, like like the opening shot of Phoenix is a very iconic shot of Phoenix. It's a very, it's just it because graphically and and like what you said, like the way like they did the stairway scene, that's terrible. Like looking at it now, you're like, what on earth is that? But looking at it then, that was like a real life thing. Like they're like, "Oh my gosh, he's falling down the stairs!" Right? Like, and that's just—it's like looking at it now. You're just like laughing at it the whole time because you're like, "That's so bad." <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the film one that was used throughout this film was actually used in order to replicate human vision. Because if you notice, it does it you you from a lot of the perspectives of the the shot cinematography wise it very much makes it look like you're a person observing what's going on rather than just like a camera. And, and maybe that's something I picked up on a, on a second watch through, but it's very, the film lens that I think they use, I want to say 35 millimeter and like 15 millimeter or something like very, not very common film for that time, even because they wanted to replicate human vision. Like you were watching it and kind of in the film more than you were actually in a theater watching it or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. But um, other little fun fact that I picked up on the second time I watched it was his love for birds is discussed. And then she immediately reveals that her last name is crane. Mm-hmm. And that's just a little kind of like an interesting, like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, like that, that kind of dichotomy, right? Like this idea of he loves birds and then her name's crane, but she's going to die in the next couple minutes, you mm-hmm. know? And it's just that idea, I guess, but. And it's kind of foreshadowing when he, uh, says, oh, I love taxidermy. Mm-hmm. And he's kept his mom's body so preserved for so long. Right. He likes to stuff things. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Just like he stuffed uh, her into the back of that car. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The I, the other... I really have two other things, but I kind of touched on the one. So the last thing, the driving scenes with Marion are so creepy. Like, mm-hmm. intentionally creepy, but they're just so off-putting because you're watching her drive and there's these voices going on and her eyes are just staring at one spot. The whole time. It, it's just the movie does such a good job of it's not scary. It's just like you have this Off-putting. weird. Exactly. You're just you're very put perturbed. Off by the whole thing kind of. Yeah, that's a good word. Perturbed by the whole thing. And you're just kind of like, what is it like? Why? What? Well, and there's parts when she's in the car, she smiles just like Norman smiles. So you mm-hmm. kind of wonder, are they kind of cut from the same cloth? Because mm-hmm. right. she's even in the beginning, she's in love with this guy, Sam. But she's like well, maybe I should just leave you. Maybe you should find somebody else. Why should I stay? Like, she's like, but then she's like, oh, we should get married. Right. Yeah. She's it's very like much in this, like, it's almost limbo. one of those. Right. Exactly. Like, it's a very much a, like, she just feels like she's in this spot where she's just very unhappy trapped. with her life. Exactly. Yeah. Trapped. 
kind of like if we could relate it to a movie we just watched, The Fablemans. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how the mom felt, right? She felt trapped in this relationship because she had wanted to do this one thing, and now she has to do this other thing. And it's just one of those – I don't know. It's just kind of crazy how – and I don't think Fablemans was – very inspired. much inspired or, or if affected by psycho, but it's just a parallel that we can draw as audience members. Exactly. Right. So anyways, that's my rant again. This is actually, this is probably in my top five movies of all time. I just think it's an iconic movie and I love it. And maybe the technology doesn't hold up, but man, the cinematography work is just something that you don't see anywhere else. And that's anything you get with Hitchcock. So anyways, uh, I will let you two, are we, ready, are we ready to do our... I think we're ready to rate, yeah. Our ratings, yeah. 1 out of 10. <laughs> Kenny, I'm, I've been very interested to see what your opinion is on this. Um, It's probably going to shock the one person in the room. Um, is he finally... Is he going to give a, the first 1 out of 10 review? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not, no. It's not that bad of it a movie. Would, if you didn't enjoy it, I, I'm not upset or anything, but... Um, I got to give it a 5 out of 10. Yeah, um, I can understand that. Because the opening was so long. Um, and not, I'm, not try, I'm not trying to knock the stairway scene, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, just not a fan of the so stairway So poorly scene. shot. <laughs> but see, what's crazy is that stairway scene is like so pivotal for that film genre. And, for and at the time, film. it was... It, you're, we're also spoiled by modern techniques. Oh, absolutely. Well, right, right. And I'm not I'm not trying to take away from it because I, I get it just how didn't hit you the way yeah. the scene is, but yeah, it didn't hit me as very iconic at all. It <laughs> it hit me as like this is terrible. Wait, wait till we um, get some pitchforks in the comments. And like like some some of the acting wasn't great and, and for some people mm-hmm. it could have been better. Mm-hmm. Um like the iconic shot of Phoenix, honestly, I thought it was a different town because that did not look like Phoenix <laughs> at all. Especially co- coming from me, because I've been out to the valley a lot. Another Fableman's and reference. He he knows where the house is. Right, right. So it did not look like Phoenix at all. Mm-hmm. So well, in that opening scene. So they actually, fun fact, I guess. So your rating's five out of ten. Did you want to go any further? Because I'm going to give a fun fact about the opening scene if you don't have anything uh, else. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. But I give it a five out of ten. Okay. Okay. So you wouldn't watch it again? Uh, no. Okay. okay. I, I I would watch The Fablemans. Okay. Again, before I watch Psycho. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, the, the opening sequence, they actually filmed on a helicopter originally. They had a whole separate intro for all of that. And then they went back and they were like, nope, it's too shaky. We can't use it. So instead of reshooting it with the helicopter, they actually used some stock footage of Phoenix, Arizona that uh, apparently I think a Universal had at the time. And so they ended up using that instead. The problem was, was that stuff was shot during like a Christmassy time or some sort or or holidays, winter time, somewhere in there. And (laughs) there were Christmas decorations in some of the windows of the – buildings that are in the opening scene and the Alfred Hitchcock's solution to this problem was to put the text over the windows where the 
Christmas decorations were at. And so where it's funny because I, maybe someone's taken the text off and so you can see what's behind it, but it would be funny to see that. But yeah, where the if you watch this movie, which I highly recommend you do, and when you see the text in the very opening sequence, um, behind those those letters are Christmas decorations that are intricately hidden. So anyways, that's my tidbit. But, uh, Jared? I'm uh, probably going to hit somewhere in the middle. Because I'd probably give it like a seven. Mm, that's fair. I mean, it's iconic, and I get it. As someone who loves film and aspires to make films someday, he Hitchcock really invented a lot for this. As we've stated before, like all of the the new things he did that are commonplace now, and you would never expect it to not be in a movie this was the first time and he was the one that had enough guts to do it mm-hmm. and props to universal for taking that chance. So I would give it that, but also at the same time, I still have some of the same issues that Kenny has. The opening is very slow. The ending is too explained. You could understand it all just by seeing the wig come off of him. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. and that's it. Right. That's all you have to say. You can explain that, yeah, he killed uh, his mom, and then he felt bad, and he's, he had a mental breakdown where he decided to be her and himself. And that's it. You don't have to explain that he wasn't a transvestite, or like let's say, like they say, that he was just... You know that just by who he is, and then seeing the ma- seeing the unmasking. So, I know for the times, a lot of audiences had to be told a lot, especially because it was very fairly new concepts right? across the board. But I would watch it again if at some point they release an all-color version just for the the experience. And I would go see it in the theater if given the opportunity. I think in theater. Just for the historical... Be, yeah. Like balance yeah no i think it probably i i have to imagine that it holds a different standing in an actual theater compared mm-hmm. to like a- any other place that you would see that like the where we're at right now or a- anything like you just can't replicate that experience so. mm-hmm. yeah that's my thoughts yeah seven out of ten five out of ten sorry right, i gotta give her a nine out of ten i, and I that's, really, you don't have to be sorry about that yeah no it's a it's it's a classic to me. I think that it does struggle in some of its. In, honestly, no. It, I, I nine out of nine point five nine point. It's almost a perfect movie for you me. You don't have to say sorry. It's it's almost a complete perfect movie. It was shot on a budget of like eight hundred and seven thousand dollars, and that today is like you you can't make many movies with that that are made today. Nope. Um, you can't even make a movie on three hundred dollars. Right, exactly. <laughs> like you just can't and, and just what he was able to create and just oh man. It's just it's one of those movies that I just cannot recommend to people. And even if you watch it like Kenny did and he, you can't you just can't stand it. You're like, eh, it's a movie, you watched it. It will I think it will grow on you throughout time. And it'll I'm stick fully, with you. Fully convinced. And then if you see scenes that call back to this movie, you're like, Oh look, that's a call yeah. back to that movie I watched, you know? And it's just it's just one of those things that can Stick around a lot longer than I think a lot of people would give it credit for. And yeah, you won't forget this movie. You won't. Especially if you didn't like it, you will not forget it because you didn't like it. Yeah. And you could, like, so there's movies that I've seen 
in the last year that I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. But this one, it'll stick with me forever. Even if it's not my favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a film that I just cannot recommend enough. So yeah, 9.5 out of 10, it's it's up there for me. It really is. And uh, I love it. It's a great film. So I think that's all we have to say. Yeah. Uh, it's the second highest rating we've had. That is, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. The highest rating we've had is a 9.6, and that was mine. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, you had 9.6. Yeah, 9.5 for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, if you did, make sure to check out all the other episodes we got. We got a lot right now. This is episode nine, so yeah. you have you have a lot of a backlog to pick up on. <laughs> yeah, you do. So especially with that, yeah. especially with that Glory Road episode. <laughs> Some good thoughts in that bad boy. I'm mm-hmm. telling you what. Anyways, so uh, yeah, we we hope you guys are enjoying these. And uh, if you are, let us know. Like I said, you can always email us or message us on Facebook, Instagram, ccflugnutspodcast.com for the on website the, uh, page. And when they- Mm-hmm. There you go. Around. There you go. So yeah, from all of us here at the uh, Cup of Jonah show. show Studios, I guess. Uh, stay caffeinated. Stay caffeinated, and I wouldn't hurt a fly. Me neither. I would. I figured you would, Kenny. Oh, I know you would. <laughs> Thanks we'll for see listening, guys. <laughs>Hey everyone, we hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you did, you should go check out the rest of our episodes on our website at ccflugnutspodcast.com. You can also listen to us wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on our Facebook and Instagram pages by searching the Lugnuts Podcast Group. Thanks for listening, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.